Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time of worship so far. And now as we open your word, Father, we uh, ask you to uh, do what only you can do as we open the word of grace. Lord, we've been looking at uh, seeking you for your grace daily and what that means and how to do that. And, and so, Father, now uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, bring the application uh, to our lives. Lord, thank you that you are good. You are a good, good Father. Your Word is good. Your will is good. And so, Father, with that heart of trust, that heart that desires to honor You with our lives, Lord, we open Your Scriptures. Lord, not just to be hearers, but doers. And in the doing, Lord, to honor You first and foremost, but then, Lord, to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So accomplish Your will in this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you were here last Sunday... We started with this uh, kind of transition into the new year looking at the Word of God or the Word of Grace, right? We spent last fall looking at growing in grace. We're called to grow in grace. We're called to be continually spiritually growing, maturing, becoming more and more like Jesus, right? How do we do that? Well, we saw last week that primarily the first foundational fundamental means of grace, if you call it that, is the Word of Grace or the Word of God. Right, and I shared with you last week a story about Vince Lombardi, right, July 1961, Green Bay Packers are opening training camp after having lost the Super Bowl, right, kind of appropriate for those who are following the playoffs today, right, and Vince Lombardi starts this spring training, again, mind you, that much of the players had just been in the Super Bowl, they'd probably been playing football since they were in Ojai Eagles and all of that, right, come through the ranks. And to these seasoned professionals, these pro bowlers, he begins this training by saying, this is a football. Right? This is a football. His point, you never get past the fundamentals. If we are going to make another march to the Super Bowl and hopefully win this season, we have to start at the fundamentals. If we are going to grow in our faith, if we're going to continue to be transformed, metamorphosis, as the Bible says, right? We can never get past the fundamentals. This is a Bible. Fundamentals. Right? Easy to say, yeah, right, okay, so tell me something I don't know. Right? When we say the word fundamentals, when we say basics, some of us go, oh, okay, they told you we didn't need to come today. It's one of those basic sermons, right? But here's the thing. If you're going to watch football this afternoon, or if you're into the World Cup, or ice skating, or any sport, or any music, really, anything, whatever you watch at the highest level of anything really is just fundamentals. It's really just People doing fundamentals. You know? Jared Goff throwing a football is not much different than the Nordoff High School quarterback when it comes down to fundamentals. How to block? Probably learned it in Ojai Eagles when they were in sixth grade. They're just doing it on a bigger stage with bigger people. It's just fundamentals. Some of you may have been in the church for a week. Some of you may have been in the church for decades. 
And the challenge and the, the temptation sometimes is the longer you're around it, the more familiar you get, the less you think you need the fundamentals. And you just sort of say, ah, you know, that's for kingdom kids. Yep, them kingdom kidders, they need to learn how to pray today. Me? Ah, learned that way back when. Ah, the VBS. Yeah, VBS is good for those little kids. But me, I'm, I've been in church 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's basic. That's fundamental. Well, you know, my prayer for us today and in the next few weeks is that God would really speak through the fundamentals. Because oftentimes I have found in my own walk with the Lord is when I'm struggling and when things are just not clicking or or it seems dry or, um, you know, I'm wrestling with, with things that seem to come back again. Oftentimes... It's just because I strayed from the fundamentals. I've just strayed from the fundamentals of the faith. You know, and we're looking at, you know, this is a Bible. This is a Bible. And, and ultimately, if we're going to stay rooted in the fundamentals, we have to understand it's a heart issue, right? Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. In the Bible, the heart is the center of my being. Everything in my life, every issue Everything I think, everything I say, everything I do comes out of my heart. It's a heart issue. Around here you often say, uh, you know, yeah, you know, so-and-so's going through this. It's a heart issue. Because it's based on Proverbs 4.23. It's a heart issue. Right? A lot of times uh, people think that Christianity is just about a bunch of do's and don'ts and external compliance. You know, God gave us a bunch of do's and don'ts, and as long as you have this external compliance and you do these things and you don't do these things, then God must be pleased with you today if it all balances out, right? And, and over time, if we stray from the fundamentals, our Christianity is just external compliance, right? You're here today out of compliance because you're supposed to, because you're supposed to, Right? But if you go back to, well, it's a heart issue. And I, we've shared this before. If, if someone is struggling with an issue and they come to me and say, hey, can you help me with this issue? What I'll really do is come all the way back and say, Lord, show me this person's heart. Where are they with you first and foremost? I don't want to just give them what we call it band-aid theology. Hey, pastor, give me two verses. What verses? What verses can you give me for this issue, right? I need a band-aid. I don't want to deal with the real heart issue. I just want you, Pastor, to give me a couple, you know, aspirin. Give me a couple of verses that I should take. And it doesn't work that way. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And coming to the Word of God, we really have to come with the right heart. And last, last Sunday, we saw that, that fundamental heart issue is this issue of authority. Authority. How many of you love to be told what to do? It just lights your fire. You woke up this morning and said, you know what? I cannot wait to be told what to do today. And it happened in your house before you got here. Probably on the way here. Right? We talked last, last week that there's something in us. Maybe, maybe someone doesn't say it, but you just kind of get this vibe that they're trying to control you. Right? Some people are very, very overt. You know, you should, you should, you should. Others... It's what they don't say that gets you, huh? Anyone? Anyone? Right? The silent treatment, right? And yet there's something in us when we sense authority, 
where just something in us just starts to rear up and just says, ah, who, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do, right? I shared, I shared last week um, working with that guy in uh, San Diego, that teenager, heavily involved in gangs, gangs, big-time gangs, drive-by shooting, gone to prison, meet up with him after he gets out of prison. I say, hey, man, remember all those times I met with you when you were in junior high school and high school and you are running with your set and you were doing all kinds of crazy... I said, did that even matter? Did that even make any difference? And he told me, right, after coming out of jail, he tells me, you know, you were a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do. I was going to do what I was going to do. That's a heart issue. That's just a straight-up heart issue. And I think sometimes, if, if we're honest, there are times when the Bible is a good influence, Church is a good influence. Men's group is a good influence. Women's group is a good influence. But I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Right? It's a heart issue. And we looked at that, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? So that fundamental scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, meaning it comes from him, it's inspired, right? But we also saw this quote from David Dockery, a view that affirms the Bible's divine inspiration and total truthfulness is of little value if we do not also have a commitment to the Bible's complete and absolute authority in our lives. And any discussion of biblical authority must begin with God himself, for all authority is located in God. Right, so we, we can say here, we can have in our statement of faith, this is God's inspired word of God, this is truth. But none of that really matters if we're going to leave here and do what we're going to do. Then it's an authority issue, right? So if we're going to go in grace, if we're going to spiritually mature in 2019, and this is the primary means, you've got to settle the authority issues. And I've got to tell you, it may not be a quick fix. In fact, it's not going to be a quick fix. Because there's that flesh in you is going to rear up and you're going to have to choose to appropriate God's grace. Constant yielding, constant surrendering, right? Constant. The story we looked at last, year was, last week was in Luke where Jesus preaches. He gets in a fishing boat and he preaches to a crowd and he says, Hey, Simon. Simon was a fisherman. He says, hey, Simon, now that I'm done preaching, here's what I want you to do. In Luke 5, he says this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. If you look at that again, verse 4, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Why was that so hard? Well, we saw Simon was an expert fisherman. He's, he's, that's his job. That's what he does. Everyone in the region knows you catch fish at the Sea of Galilee at night in the shallows. What Jesus was commanding him to do, these two things, put out into the deep and let down the nets, was ridiculous to the fishermen. They would have sat there and go, hey, carpenter boy, who are you to tell us our job? Not going to work. Silly. You want us 
middle of the day to go to the deep and drop the nets. That's not how we do it. Right? So right away, Simon is challenged with authority, challenged with what he thinks he knows, challenged with his experience, challenged what may have worked. And now Jesus is telling, t- telling him to do two things completely counterintuitive, completely opposed to what he even wants to do, would even like to do. Right? Simon answered, Master. I love that word. Master is a key word because it's, it's an authority issue. He says, boss, governor. That's what he's saying. We've heard, worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. He's like, dude, really? Okay, but I love this. Here's a key phrase. But because you say so. Last week, that was the phrase. But because you say so. And how many of us, this authority issue, last week we were challenged because you say so. But because you say so. And that's a challenge for us. That, that honestly requires the, God's grace. When God in, a, in, his, in his word asks you to forgive someone, and that is counter to everything you want to do. When God c- commands you not to worry or be anxious for nothing, and you're like, what? Are you kidding me? Right? That's crazy. If you're thinking those thoughts, that's the same thing, Simon. And so, same challenge to us, but because you say so. It's a yielding to submission to authority. So, first heart issue that we saw was, how are you doing with the authority of God's Word? You might affirm it's inspired. You might even say it's truthful. But for many, the key in the church, is it the authority in your life? Or just a good influence? And you're going to do what you're going to do. Right, and and then this verse leads us into this the, today's heart issue. Right in verse five, he says, "Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, right? There's the authority." And then I underlined after the comma, "I will let down the nets." So because you say so is the authority, and he says, "I will let down the nets," which means you got to do something. You actually have to do something. He doesn't say, because you say so, I'll make note of it. Because you say so, I'll highlight it in my Bible. Because you say so, I'll memorize it. No, he said, because you say so, I will let down the nets. What are we talking about here? Authority. If you settle the authority and, and, and desire to honor God by walking in faith under his authority, you're going to actually have to do something. You're going to actually have to do something. Not just assent to it. Not just amen it. Not just affirm it. Not just agree with it. Not just highlight it. Not just underline or circle it in your Bible. You're actually going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something. Right? In Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, he defines biblical obedience is to hear God's Word and act accordingly. Great definition. To hear God's word and act accordingly. Now, that sounds real simple, but we get hung up, I believe our heart issue is that first phrase, to hear God's word. What does it even mean to hear God's word? 
see I'm being amplified right now. I'm speaking into this. It's going through here. However it happens, it's coming out these speakers. There's sound waves. They're hitting your eardrums. Your eardrums are vibrating. And you're hearing something. Is that what it means to hear God's Word? To actually be, just be informed to let these waves hit and you know have audible sound? Is that what it means to hear God's Word? You know, because it really isn't. But sometimes we get stuck there. That information is that to hear God's word is to be informed, right? To be, I heard God's word. I listened to it on the podcast, right? I heard God's word. Well, not really. And here's a good way to think about this. How many of you parents have ever asked slash told your kids to do something? Clean up your room, do your homework, do the dishes. Anyone? Now, how many of you walked away having given the command only to return and they're still playing the game? Oh, we got an O back there, right? We got an O translated amen in parent language, right? So you come back, you, you, you said something which had some assumptions built into your saying. You left, you come back, hey, hey, told you, do your homework. Uh, What? And then how many of you have said this? Didn't you hear what I said? In some form. How many many have ever asked your, your child, didn't you hear what I said? Now, my guess is you didn't mean, did you hear my sound waves come to your ear, vibrate your eardrum, and resonate with some knowledge? How many of you, when you say to your child, did you hear what I said, the implication is you got to do something with it? There's an expectation that what I said should elicit some obedience, right? So we get this at the human level, right? hey, didn't you hear me? Which really means, didn't you hear me like you're supposed to listen and do? Right? If you understand that, then you understand true biblical obedience. Right? Stephen Cole says this, obedience should always be the bottom line of Bible study or biblical preaching. Correct application must always be built on correct interpretation. But to study the word just to fill your head with knowledge without applying the word short circuits God's purpose in giving it. Obedience, right? That's a heart issue. You got to do something with this, right? A familiar passage around here, James 1, 22. He says, hey, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Right? We've looked at James 1.22 a lot. This is like a foundational verse for us. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So what are you saying there? Hey, if you're going to church, if you're going to Bible study, and you think that just having it come here and, and gaining knowledge and hearing it is enough, he says you're deceived. In fact, it's a powerful word. It's deluded. And that word deluded 
means you've misjudged, you've miscalculated, you're in a continual state of spiritual deception. If you think that coming to church and just hearing it and then leaving and going off to Cafe Emporium for lunch is enough because you did your duty and God's happy and you got your brownie point, you're deceived. You're deluded, right? And I've shared this, with, I shared this illustration with you before, this mirror. How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? Oh, come on now. How many of you looked in? Now you're lying. None of you woke up looking as good as you did right now. Come on now. We all, I'm guessing, looked in a mirror or a reflection. Some of us more than once. Some of us passed every window and glass door we passed. Why do we look at this? Why did you look at a mirror this morning? Why didn't you just roll out of bed and roll in here? Make sure you look okay, right? That's crazy, right? Every day we get up, we look in a mirror, and our mirror speaks to us. Our mirror speaks to us, right? Right? Vinny, what did your mirror say to you this morning when you looked at it? Hair. We have a hair issue. We have a hair issue this morning. Mark, what did, what did your mirror say to you when you got up and you looked at it? What was the first thing the mirror said? It was a hair day too. Right, Kathy? Any, what did your mirror say? You're getting older, okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Our mirror speaks. Some of it was hair. Some of it was wash your face. Right? Some of it was, you know, you got wrinkles on your clothes. Not here, but, you know, you got wrinkles. Right? You were, you, you, your mirror spoke. And some of you are so concerned about what you look like that you flipped it and it got magnified ten times. Whoa, Right? Right? We're so concerned about what we look like that just the regular reflection is not enough. We got to get right there. Ah, right? So, so this morning, you woke up, you had a conversation with your mirror. Your mirror told you something for your good. Several things. And here's the crazy thing. You implicitly obeyed. You implicitly obeyed. The mirror told you something, and without question, you said, thank you, mirror. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing nobody got angry at Mirror. Well, maybe you got angry at what Mirror said, but the, the, <laughs> but the Mirror, you, we all sort of agree it's a good thing to have mirrors. Amen? Right? It's a good thing. The Mirror is designed to help us once we leave home. Right? It's all positive. We, we, we welcome, we welcome what the mirror says to us, right? The Word of God is basically kind of the same thing. It says it's profitable so that we're, we are equipped for every good work. We're complete. It's a spiritual mirror where God says, hey, here's what you got to work on. You know that forgiveness issue? It's right there. You know that stewardship issue? Right there. You know that lack of faith? Right there. It's the same thing. And God desires the same, the same level of implicit obedience. The, the same heart that says, thank you for showing that to me. Thank you. Oh man, I wouldn't have known. 
I wouldn't have known. I, that just would have been a blind. I, I would not have seen that but for this. That's what we're talking about when it comes to this heart issue of actually doing the Word of God. It begins with actually saying, being thankful. Same way you're thankful for a mirror. That's what God, that's why He gave us His Word. Not to like make you feel bad about yourself and to beat you up and to keep score. No, He gave you His Word because He loves you. And He says, hey, work on this so that when you go out into the world, you honor me. You glorify me. You're more like Jesus. That's why He's given us His Word. And He just wants us to receive His correction, His rebuking, His training, His teaching in the same way that we get it from the mirror every single day, multiple times a day. Multiple times a day, I'm guessing you look in the mirror or a reflection. Multiple times a day, right? It's the same heart, same principle, right? It's interesting when it says, do not merely listen to the Word. That word listen is actually the same word that describes someone who audits a class. Now, if you go to college, you know that sometimes uh, people are allowed to sit into a, a class and what they call audit. Now, if you audit a class, you're allowed to sit in, enjoy the lecture, but the homework and the tests are optional because you're just auditing, right? You're there to glean the information. You're not really fully vested as a student Test, homework, optional. I think a lot of us sometimes, over time maybe, or maybe we were never taught this, we approach this as auditors. We want to glean. We come to it for the good information. We like how it's presented. But the application is now optional. It's just optional because I'm just auditing. I'm just here to gain more information. I'm, 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 I'm an auditor, right? Another, uh, another writer calls, calls it being in common law Christians. What's a common law Christians? He says it's Christians who want the benefits of living with Jesus without making the commitment. Common law Christians, right? We want Christianity to meet our needs. We want Jesus to fulfill us. But we don't want to, it's not based on commitment, it's just us. It's, we're auditing and we just, it's, it's just about us. It's self-centered, right? What's the basis of our commitment? It's love, right? This, this, this idea that I want to honor God, I want to submit to His authority, I want to be a doer of the Word, I don't want to be deceived. Really, it's rooted in love. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commands. Now, a lot of people kind of misinterpret that. What really that verse means is love, the fruit of love is obedience. It's not like, prove to me you love me. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you love me, the fruit of that was you want to obey me. So obedience is a fruit of loving Jesus, right? We get that flip. That verse is kind of used out of context a lot. John fifteen fourteen, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So what's the fruit of being Jesus' friend? Obedience. Again, it's a fruit issue. Obedience ultimately is a fruit issue. It's a heart issue. 1 John 5, 3. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. So if you're having an issue with authority and you're having an issue with doing something with the authority, what the authority is telling you, honestly, you've got to go back to love. 
First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's a heart issue, and probably more specifically, it's a love issue. It's a love issue. Okay? But for some also, it may be just like, I've never heard this before. I, didn't, I never knew hearing and obeying were, were inseparable in the Bible. Well, actually, it goes back to the Old Testament. There's a very famous passage in Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema, right? Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That word here is Shema. Okay? What it means is to hear, listen, understand, obey, respond. In the Hebrew culture, when you said, I hear you, this is what you're saying. I'm listening with the intent to obey. In Hebrew, I do not hear unless I respond. To hear is to act upon the word spoken. So in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew culture, when you say, I hear, or hear, O Israel, it means listen with the intent to obey. They're inseparable. It's just one. It's one word in the Hebrew culture. Listen, obey, it's just one concept. If you understand that, then you'll understand the Old Testament. Even It'll just make more sense, right? It just makes more sense. Exodus 24, 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Exodus 24, 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. You see? They hear, immediate, we do. That's just how they were raised. That's, that was just a taken for granted definition. Here is to listen, get it, and do it. Get it, do it. It's always one. Always one. We're the ones that separate that. And we're going to see why. That why will it happen? In the New Testament, the word obedience means to hear under. It's the same thing. To listen under with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard. Here's an interesting example of that. In Acts 12, 13, right, Peter comes to a door, right? It says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Where it says she came to answer the door, that's the New Testament word for obedience. What it means is someone knocked, I came and I listened with the intent to open. I heard something, I came to listen and do. It's the same thing in the New Testament, right? In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, what does it say? Jesus says, hey, go out there and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Everything I have commanded you. The Great Commission links teaching and obedience. If we're going to make disciples in this church, my responsibility is to teach you to obey, not just teach you. Right? Jesus says in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Right? Again. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? You can't separate the two. You can't do separate. And then I love this passage, Luke 8. It says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word 
and put it into practice. Wow. What is he saying? He's like, hey, you know, a spiritual relationship with me, this is Jesus talking, it's not based on human terms. A spiritual relationship with me is based on hearing and doing. That's the basis. That, that's a powerful statement. It says, my, my spiritual family are those who hear and do. Put it into practice. That's what, right? So Old Testament, Shema. Jesus, New Testament, hear and obey. Hear and obey. Hear and obey. The inseparable. Now the crazy thing is, sometimes we're challenged to obey when we don't understand. We don't understand how it's going to play out. We're scared. We've never done it before. What are people going to think? So God, speaking to us through his word, you know what he's calling you to do in faithful obedience, and yet you don't understand. You don't get it. You don't get it. And that's where faith comes in. A couple examples of the Old Testament. In Joshua 3, the Israelites were marching, and God says, hey, Put the ark in the front. And when you come to the river Jordan, put the ark in first. And when the ark comes in, you know what's going to happen? The waters are going to stop. Okay. Okay. Put the ark in first, the waters will stop. I don't understand. Right? Joshua 6. The Bible says, the Lord says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Right? Yo, we're going to conquer Jericho. Awesome story. Here's how you're going to do it. You're going to march around six days. On the seventh day, you're going to march around. You're going to blow the trumpets. All the people are going to shout, and the walls will fall down. How many of you would lined up for that parade? (laughs) Can you gather? Right? Okay. Okay, hey, guys. See that fortified city? God told me we're getting it. Okay, awesome. We attacking? We got catapults? What are we doing? Airplanes? How are we doing it? No, this is awesome. Check this out. We're going to walk around the city once for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk. We're going to blow trumpets. You all scream as loud as you can, and the walls are going to fall. Let's go. We like to believe we would have joined that parade. Some of us would have remained in the tent. Yeah. Yeah. Right? What are the people in the, do you ever think what the people on the Jericho walls, the defenders were thinking? I'm shaking like a leaf. You why? It didn't it didn't make sense. I don't understand that. If you're reading through the Bible, you fairly recently you read through God's call to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? How many of you are... I, uh, you want me to do what? I want you to sacrifice your son. Uh, hmm. Hmm. So we're challenged, right? We're challenged with this... Okay, I've got to submit to God's authority. It's a word. It's more than just listening. I've got to do something with it. But man... I am challenged at those times when I just don't understand and it just doesn't make sense. In fact, it seems wacky, especially in the world's eyes. It goes back to Simon letting down his nets, right? What do you do when God is calling you to complete obedience and you don't understand? 
You don't understand what's going on. See, the challenge with this, if you're struggling with this, part of the challenge is that in our Western churchdom, in our culture, we have adopted a Greek mindset. A Greek mindset. The Greeks sort of make sense of the world logically. So they have what's called linear logic. Out in the world are a bunch of facts. In the Greek mindset, I'm going to take facts and I'm going to line them up in a linear fashion so that A plus B equals C. Okay? It's very linear. It's very logical. Whatever doesn't fit my formula, I discard as irrelevant, false, contradictory. I just don't like it because it doesn't fit my linear logic. Right? The challenge with that is the Bible comes from a Hebrew mindset. A Hebrew mindset. And, and, and the Hebrew mindset says this. They accept that the Word of God comes from God. And therefore, whatever's in it always makes sense and is coherent in God's mind. From God's perspective. It always makes sense. Not necessarily from the human perspective. So a lot of us have this Greek mindset in the church. Well, I've got to figure it out. Let me figure out the book of Revelation. Got to be very linear. Predestination, right? Let me figure this out. And we get this linear mindset. And this is why you get these competing theological systems. Because people are trying in a linear fashion to make sense of it all. And that's why you end up with these different denominations, different theologies, because they're trying their best in the Greek mindset to line up A plus B equals C. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that as long as you accept the fact that as a finite human being, you're never going to get it all. And you accept the fact from the Hebrew mindset that it always makes sense in God's mind. 100% always makes sense. You've got to settle that issue. But what has happened in, in our Greek mindset, and what was the Greeks all about? Elevation of man, human reasoning, science, what I think become preeminent. That's Greek. To understand the Bible, you've got to come back to the Hebrew mindset. The Hebrew mindset. And in fact, one, one gentleman, is, it was very helpful, uh, by the name of Marvin Wilson, he calls it the Hebrew, he describes the Hebrew mindset as what he calls block logic. Okay, so Greeks have linear logic. Fact, fact, fact equals, and it all makes sense, linear. Marvin Wilson says, hey, there's something called block logic, and it helps you understand the Hebrew mindset. In a block logic, God's word comes to us in blocks, and within the block, everything makes sense. There's another block where everything makes sense. Block logic says at times the two blocks may not make sense. So you have to approach, it helps to understand the Bible in blocks. That it's all from God. At its base, it all makes sense in his perspective. But these blocks may not necessarily, in our human mind, we may not understand how they connect. Right? It's so helpful. It's so helpful because it takes humility. Humility. Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There's things you're just not going to get on this side of heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11 He 
He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. We all know there's eternity. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There's this element where you're going to have to just humble yourself and just admit you're not going to always get it all lined up in linear logic. Okay? Psalm 111, 110. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Keep that up there for a sec. Here's an important sequence here. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Here's what that means. If you obey, understanding follows. Follows. Obedience precedes understanding. And yet we flip that. We're like, oh, I've got to figure out when, when God wants me to forgive. Let me figure this out. Uh, what does he really mean? And we try, to, we try to understand forgiveness and we try to wrap our mind about it and we're all trying to get this, this, this high level of understanding before we obey. Where God says, no, obey me. And then the light bulbs will come on. Then you'll get greater clarity. How many of you in your walk with Jesus, you didn't understand why God was calling you to do that? You knew in his word he was calling you to do something. How many of you did it by faith and then you had an aha moment afterwards? You're like, ah, I get it. See, obedience led to greater understanding. Obedience led to greater clarity. Yet our Greek minds, we get caught up in thinking. We get caught up in knowledge. We try to figure out how it all lines up linear. And then you know what happens? We get frozen. We get stuck. Now our Christian walk is about trying to make sense of it. Now our Christian walk is about logic. Now our Christian walk is about information gathering and information analysis. And we're just thinking all the time. We're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking. And hopefully somewhere we'll stop thinking and we'll start doing, but I'll start doing after I stop thinking. It's Greek. It's Greek. The Hebrews said, you know what? Thus says the Lord. Okay. That's the starting point for obedience is thus saith the Lord. (laughs) All makes sense to him because he's God. I just got to obey. It's faith. It's an element of faith, right? C.S. Lewis says, obedience is the key that opens every door. I love that. If you're stuck, if you feel like you've just kind of been stagnant, maybe you're stale, maybe you're just like, oh, I'm trying to move and I can't, and I'm just spinning my wheel spiritually, it might be. Honestly, there's something in your life that you know you're supposed to be doing and you're not. You just know it. And you're thinking, well, I, I, let, me, let me think about it. There's nothing left to think about. The Bible's real clear. There's nothing left to think about. You just got to do. You just got to do. Right? It's this, it's this idea sometimes in the church where we get used to spouting information off and we just go and we da da da, but we don't ever do the challenge of doing it. Because you know what? When we're challenged to do, here's the thing it's scary. Not even scary, it's terrifying. It's the get out of the boat moment, it's the drop your nets down, it's terrifying. But you know what? In that, in that oh my gosh, I'm shaking. Where does that draw you to? The throne of grace. That's the point. 
when you come to the end of yourself and you're so scared to take the tiniest step in obedience, that is the point. It's supposed to bring you to God's grace so he gets the glory. You got to do. But we're so heady and we just, we're, it's amazing. We're stuck. There was a time back in San Diego when I started in youth ministry, I was invited out on a Saturday morning to speak to some juvenile offenders. The sheriffs get them together at a camp, a uh, ropes course, and they said, hey, can you come out? And I drove, it was pretty far out in a small town in uh, like Hamul or something in San Diego. I drive out there, sheriffs are out there and some uh, like 10 juvenile offenders. They say, hey, can you do a devotional for them, you know, words of encouragement. So I do, and I'm talking about David and Bathsheba and a series of bad choices, yada, yada, yada. Great devotion, right? Everyone was like, thankful. And now they're going to go do a ropes course, you know, the high ropes kind of stuff. And I'm there, and I'm thinking, oh, my job's done. I gave the word of God to the juvenile offenders, right? And the sheriffs are now going to take them through the ropes course to help them get over fears and all that. So he said, okay, now we're going to go to the first rope. And there's the first uh, element, and it was called the diaper pole. It's like a 20-foot telephone pole, and you're supposed to climb it, stand on top of this telephone pole, and then jump out to a trapeze. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to watch the kids. Did my job. The lead sheriff, he says, and you, preacher, you're first. I'm like, What? He goes, you got to lead by example, bro. I'm like, what? <laughs> and all eyes are on me, right? All these, all these like criminals are laughing because they seem, I don't know what my face looked like, but there's like, <laughs> right? He tells us the Bible. Let's see. Let's see. Right? And a man, oh man. I'm still, I'm still traumatized by the thing. I, I just, you know, because all these eyes are on me, these sheriffs are on, you know, everyone is just like, okay, the guy who just spoke about God's word has to climb the diaper pole first. You know, I climb up there and you got to get your foot up on the top with, and then you're doing this, you know, and then there's the trapeze out there and you got to jump to it. And I think I jumped and I let out a yip, you know, and it was like not, not the most manly yip, you know. <laughs> Still embarrassed about the yip, but... um. But the point is this, right? I thought I had done my job by going out there and giving the word of God. And little did I know that God was like, no, it's time to put up or shut up, dude. You got to do. It's time for you to do and to lead by example. And I was terrified. Yes. And I had never done that before. Never. Never wanted to. Great to cheer people on. Me personally, no desire to climb a diaper pole, right? But it was just time. And I remember, I mean, at that moment, everything kind of went blurry. And I was like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And in my head, you know, prayer gets real simple when you're terrified. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, you know. And it was exhilarating. And, and I was called to do something. Immediately, the tables were turned, and it was flipped from just saying all the good stuff and giving all the good lessons and believing. And no, you got to do now. It's time to do. Do it terrified. Do it scared. Do it imperfectly. Just do it. Just do it. And I think a lot of us, we just have to get to that place of faith where you just put your faith in God and you just go. And you just do it, right? Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, what? Trust in the name of the Lord and rely 
I'm your guy. God calling you to do something and you don't know how it's going to play out? Trust. Rely. Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Faith. At a certain point, you gotta, you gotta, you're going to come to the end of yourself and you're going to be confronted with trust. Faith. Trust in yourself? You're going to trust God. We sing, He's a good, good Father. Is He? Is He in that moment of terror, in that moment of being called to obedience, when you have no clue how it's going to play out, do you trust that He's a good, good Father? Do you really trust Him? Because you're going to be scared. You're going to be scared. Matthew 14, there's a story, you know, the miracle. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came. Lord Jesus. I love that. You can leave it up, Island, because Jesus is out there on the water. And I love what Peter says. Hey, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Come. What was the basis of Peter's obedience? If it's you, tell me something. If it's you, I'll listen to your word. Peter didn't say, Lord, if it's you, can you explain how you're going to make the water hold me up? Can you give me the scientific explanation of how this is going to happen? Because I need the logical. I need, this isn't lining up with my linear logic. Because everything in my Greek mindset, Lord, says I'm going to sink. Right? But what does he say? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Come. That's all Jesus said. It's just simple. Come. It's an authority issue. It's a trust issue. So in your life, in my life, where is God calling you to come? Where is he calling you to get out of the boat, to get out of your head, to stop thinking about it, and come? Why? Because he says so. Because he says so, and it's just time to start doing. Close with this quote. Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. Whether you looked at Joseph in prison, Moses and Israel at the Red Sea, David in the cave, or Jesus at Calvary, the lesson is the same. We live by promises, not by explanations. That's the Greek versus the Hebrew. We live by promises. So where in your life is God calling you, challenging you to trust his promise? Trust his promise. When you leave here, where is God saying, come, get out of the boat, come. Just come. And you're going to be shaking, and you're going to be trembling, and you're not going to know how it's going to play out, but because he says so, you're going to get out of the boat, and you're going to come. And you do it imperfectly, and you may stub your toe, and you may fumble and bumble, and you may give out, you it's going to be okay because you know what? You grew. You grew.
because you obeyed, you grew. You took a step of maturity. You're different. When you take a step of obedience, here's the radical thing. You're new. When you take a step of obedience, you're new. That's walking in newness of life. We're called to walk in newness of life. The basis of that is authority, is trust, power of the God, is grace. Every time you walk in obedience into the unknown, you're a new creation. You've never been there before. It's all new. And then life suddenly opens up and you have that abundant life that Jesus was talking about because now you're simply what? Following him. You're just following him in the simplicity of submission. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that fundamental, fundamental to following you is yielding to your authority and then doing something with what you say. Yielding, hearing, and doing. And yet, Father, it's that part that's so scary. It's scary. As much as we say, God is good, God is all-powerful, I trust God. Do we? Do we? So, Father, I pray that uh, in our own lives you would bring, bring the application. What is the one area today, right now, that we know we've been reluctant, we've been denying, we've been putting off, we've been straight-up rebelling, in disobedience because we're scared, because we don't want to, because we're going to do what we're going to do, whatever it is. Father, search our hearts. There's nothing hidden from your sight. We just fool ourselves about that. So Father, uh, speak to us. We confess our rebellion. We confess our lack of faith. We confess we're just flat out terrified sometimes everything in us wants to know how it's going to play out. So give us the faith, faith of a mustard seed. To do what you say because it's what you say. Forgive us, Father, we confess this to you and ask your forgiveness. And as we wrap up and prepare for communion, prepare our hearts, Lord, even, even now when we leave here to walk in obedience, to get out of the boat, simply because you say come.